most of us don't just want to read our Bible. We want to enjoy it. We want to understand it. This is the Bible Field Guide podcast. We make the Bible make sense. In today's episode, we'll look at the overarching storyline of the Bible according to Jesus. Have you ever spent way too long trying to pick the perfect filter on Instagram? I know I have. Why? Well, vanity, of course, but it's not just vanity. Picking a filter is kind of fun because each filter brings something different out of the picture. Filters allow us to see different things, focus on different parts. The Bible is an enormous book, that much is obvious, but it's telling an enormous story as well. And it doesn't tell that story in a way that we'd expect. It's not a novel, it's not a book series, it's not a TV show. The Bible is a, it's a collage, it's a mosaic, a mosaic of different stories, laws, prayers, songs, sayings, and visions, and these things all come together as a big mosaic to tell a bigger story, to give a bigger picture. And the best way to make sense of the little parts of the Bible is to read them in light of that bigger mosaic, of that bigger story. No one would expect to start a a new TV show in, you know, season four, episode six. You just start right in the middle. No one's going to expect that to make sense. And it's the exact same way with the Bible. It's hard to make sense of the Bible if we just hop right into the middle of it, but we don't have a grasp on the bigger overarching story. So what is the big story of the Bible? Well, again, the Bible is so expansive, it's actually really helpful to pick a filter. To pick a filter that's going to help you see certain things, focus on different parts. I think that if Jesus could tell the Bible story in an Instagram feed, I think that he'd use one filter more than any others. The gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. Why do I say that would be Jesus's, you know, select filter? Well, it's because the Gospels, again and again and again, they summarize Jesus's proclamation, what he was announcing to people as the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. According to the gospel writers, that's the story. That's the story that Jesus is telling. It's a story that he saw himself inside of. And it's the story that I'm excited to explore in today's podcast we're going to look through the the story uh, of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And we're going to look through that storyline, which really does run through the entire Bible. We're going to look at it in six parts. So let's start at the beginning. The very best place to start, right? Part one, kingdom created. Okay, part one, kingdom created. On the first page of the Bible, what does God do? God creates. And the relevant question, I mean, I realize we've got lots of questions when it comes to that first page, but the relevant question is what kind of world is God creating? According to Genesis 1, God is creating a kingdom. Think about it. He makes realms, uh, the heavens, the sky, the sea, the land, and he fills them with citizens, stars and birds, fish, plants and animals. And he even sets up vice regents, you know, people to govern different realms on his behalf. Uh, Genesis 1 says that the sun and moon are called to rule the day and the night. And humanity? Well, we are the ones who are made in God's image so that we can rule over his creation as he would rule over his creation. God places humanity inside of a, a beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden, which actually means delight. 
And again, but why is God doing this? Well, it's so that we could spread Eden's boundary line so that eventually Eden would come to fill the entire earth with God's love and justice and mercy. You see, we tend to think about page one of the Bible, God creates, we think he's done at the end of page one, but he's really not done. God hasn't finished his kingdom. God makes this wild choice to risk sharing his kingdom with other people, to risk letting others help him and partner with him and building and spreading his kingdom. So that's part one. Part one is kingdom created, but there's a tragedy, and this leads to part two, kingdom lost. So humanity refuses God's kingdom calling. We've got no interest, apparently, with filling the world with love and justice and mercy. Instead, according to the story, we become rulers of our own lives, our own destinies. We redefine good and evil for ourselves. And as the story progresses, humanity fills the world with violence and injustice, idolatry, pride, and sexual selfishness. Our counter kingdom in the story is epitomized by the Tower of Babel, or we could translate that as the Tower of Babylon, because Babylon eventually becomes the Bible's chief image for humanity in rebellion to God. Humanity not spreading God's world of love, justice, and mercy, but humanity ruling itself and spreading and filling the world with violence, injustice, idolatry, pride, and sexual selfishness. So part one is kingdom created, but part two is kingdom lost. And the question at the end of part two is, will God give up? I mean, things get so bad, you just wonder, I mean, is this where he throws in the towel and he says, all right, you guys just do this on your own? But the answer to that question is no, God doesn't give up. And that's part three, kingdom rebooted and exiled. So God doesn't give up. He risks rebooting his kingdom through, of all things, a dysfunctional family. It's the family of Abraham. And despite all of Abraham's personal dysfunction, at the end of the day, Abraham's actually characterized by one trait, faith. Faith. He, at the end of the day, he trusts God. He, he gives God his entire allegiance But Abraham's descendants, they end up becoming subjugated by by the Babylon of their own day, by Egypt, by Pharaoh. And, And as the story progresses, Pharaoh is working them to death. He's murdering their children. He's constructing a counter kingdom, totally opposed to God's kingdom, using the slave labor of God's own people. So what's God do? Well, again, he, he's committed to this vision. So he rescues his people from Pharaoh's grip. He frees them so that they can serve him, so they can reflect his image into the world, just like Adam and Eve were supposed to. And how are they going to do this? Well, God says you will do it by becoming a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests, spreading the boundaries of my love, my justice and mercy until they fill every nation. At Mount Sinai, God becomes their king, and they become his people, his children. And the first gift that he gives them in the story is a new Eden, a promised land where they can reboot God's original kingdom project. But God's people struggle. They start, you know, turning to idols. God tries to call them back through his prophets. He he gives them a king after his own heart. But even that king's descendants turn to idols. God's people end up building Babylon instead of building God's kingdom. Finally, God says, okay, I mean, if you want to be like Babylon, you can go to Babylon. In 586 BC, the Babylonian empire destroyed Jerusalem. They burned down the temple and they carried the remaining population into exile, into Babylon. 
And eventually God brought a remnant back, but their return wasn't glorious. It wasn't another kingdom reboot. Instead, they felt like slaves in their own homeland. They felt like exiles in their own homeland. They were exiled because of their sin. They were exiled because of their rebellion. And even when they come back, they realize we're still suffering from the exact same problem. They desperately awaited God to return as their king, just like he did at Sinai. They're saying, God, come back and be our king. They longed for God to reestablish, to reboot his kingdom again. They longed to hear good news. They wanted to hear good news. This is the gospel that Isaiah foretold. Isaiah 52, 7. He said, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the good news that people longed for. Let's see what it is. Who proclaim peace. Okay, so it's a news of peace. Who proclaim good tidings. Who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion. Okay, now here's Isaiah's summary of the good news of the gospel. Your God reigns. Your God reigns. That's the good news, that God would come and reign again. The question at this point in the story is, when is it going to happen? And how is God going to deal with the sin problem in every human heart? The problem that has again and again and again wrecked his kingdom plans. Well, that leads us to part four, which is the return of the king. See, God does return to his creation, but he does it at the greatest risk imaginable. He becomes a part of it. He becomes a human. He becomes King Jesus. Mark, he carefully begins his gospel by presenting Jesus as the king who rescues Israel from exile and establishes God's kingdom on earth. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus is going all over Israel announcing the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he calls people to do two things in response to this news, to repent and to believe. So the question is, those are weird words. What, what, what do they mean, really? Well, repenting means turning. Repenting means turning away from the Babylons of the world, turning away from idolatry and corruption, violence, pride, and sexual selfishness. It means turning away from those things and instead turning to him and believing. But that's the other question. What does it really mean to believe? Well, believing isn't just intellectual assent. Believing means giving your trusting allegiance to King Jesus, giving your trusting allegiance to his kingdom. So as the story goes on, King Jesus, he's going everywhere and he's healing the sick and casting out the powers of darkness. And everywhere he goes in Israel, he brings Eden along with him. Everywhere he goes, it's like the kingdom of God is rebooting. To establish the kingdom, though, Jesus realizes that his blood needs to be spilled. Unlike the kings of Babylon, though, (laughs) Jesus doesn't spill his enemy's blood. Jesus spills his own. Jesus spills his blood to, to pay, to pay for our rebellion and to wash, to cleanse our sin sick hearts. Through his death, this king, King Jesus, he declares forgiveness for all, and at the cost of his blood, he redeems creation. You see, he's not just rebooting uh, the kingdom. He is reclaiming all of creation for God. And of course, the good news is that this king doesn't stay dead. He rises. And when he rises, it's a clear declaration that he is victorious over sin and death and the devil. But that's not the end of the story. Because kings, they tend to rule over people. And Jesus is no exception. That leads to part five, kingdom people. 
See, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a king claim. But he says, because this has happened, he is going to be calling people out of exile, out of Babylon, and into his kingdom. He calls his people to be many rulers, to fill the earth with his image. This is what he says to his disciples. He says, go therefore, my little mini rulers, my little image bearers, and make more of me. Make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. See, this is our part of the story. And by his Spirit's power, we are able to bring God's kingdom on earth as in heaven We're going to falter, we're going to fall short, but by the Spirit's power, we are free to live upside-down lives, cross-shaped lives. And in doing so, through that sacrificial love, through imaging Jesus' cross to the world, to the nations, we actually end up spreading the boundaries of God's kingdom on earth as people are converted and turned to, to know Jesus, to trust him, to give him their allegiance, and to follow his pattern of cross-shaped living. Okay, this leads to the last part of our story, part six, kingdom come. Because Jesus promises one day to return and to make all things new. He's going to renew all of creation, the, the ground that's underneath our feet. He's going to reclaim every square inch of it, put every square inch of it under his authority, not just in word, but also in deed, so that finally God's kingdom is going to be on earth as in heaven. This world, the world we're on right now, will become a world of perfect love, justice, and mercy. That's our ultimate hope. And that's the story that we get if we read the Bible through the kingdom filter. Kingdom created, kingdom lost, kingdom rebooted, kingdom exiled. The return of the king, the kingdom people, and finally, kingdom come. What I love about this story is that it reads us too, right? We can read the story, but this story kind of reads us too because it asks us a question. It looks at our lives, asks us a question. Which kingdom will you give your allegiance to? Will you give your allegiance to Babylon? To the kingdom of pride and violence, injustice, corruption, idolatry, sexual selfishness? Or will you turn from Babylon Will you confess your own rebellion, the ways that you've uh, participated in Babylon? And will you give your allegiance to King Jesus, to God's kingdom? Are you going to pick up the gun or the garden trowel? Are you going to worship the golden calf or the Christ? Are you going to live for airbrushed images in the media or will you live as the image of God? Babylon or God's kingdom? Which kingdom will you build in your life? It's an amazing story, an amazing story we can read, but an amazing story that reads us too and begs a question from us. One of our goals at Bible Field Guide is to keep the big storyline in view at all times. It doesn't matter if it's a culture guide or a reading guide or a thematic guide. God willing, everything that we do, we try to do with an awareness of that bigger story. And sometimes we'll draw your attention to it. Other times it'll just be kind of sitting in the background. But why? Why are we so passionate about the story of the Bible? Well, it's because the Bible really is a massive mosaic. And again, like any mosaic, the best way to make sense of any little part is to actually see the whole. And when we see the whole of the Bible, 
I think the one image that we see, when we see the whole image of the Bible, the one image that comes most clearly into focus in that mosaic is the image of the crucified and resurrected King Jesus. I hope you'll let us help you see that mosaic as you are navigating through some of those little bits and pieces of your Bible. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to the Bible Field Guide podcast. Please subscribe and give us a rating if you like this content. It helps other people find it as well. If you don't already follow us on Instagram, I think you're probably going to want to check out some of the stuff that we're doing on there. It's just Bible Field Guide. You can click a link to it in the show notes. Or if you want to see the visuals we're doing on a different format, you can look at our website, BibleFieldGuides.com. We are still in the very early stages of this project, so uh, there isn't a ton out there yet. But here's the deal. We've got a lot, 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 lot more planned. So if you have any questions, thoughts, ideas, or musings, you can find my email on our website. Please reach out.